Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. Welcome to Life Church. We want to first welcome all of our campuses, Wilton and Cedar Rapids. We love our church family. Can we give it up for our campuses all around Eastern Iowa? Thank you, thank you, thank you for being there. Coralville, thank you for showing up and being here. We so appreciate you driving in. It is a beautiful day. And um, go Hawks. Oh... Go Huskers. Go Huskers. <gasps> you are in the wrong church, girl. <laughs> well, as you can see, uh, how many are so confused right now? Uh, what is going on right now? What is happening? We are, uh, we are in our series, For Better or Worse, that is our marriage uh, series that we are doing that Pastor Rich is in right now. Um, However, the conversation that we're going to have today and the questions will be asked, um, please don't tune out because this is not just for, although it is focused on marital couples, these are, um, this is information and principles that can be applied to all relationships. So whether your colleagues, your friends, your family, how to interact, I believe that these will help you no matter where you are at in, in your season and journey. Uh, so don't tune out, please. You all agreed to do that? Okay, very good. Now, let's do this. Let's get some introductions out of the way. Um, this is uh, Ricky Green over here. Uh, for those who may not know, this is Pastor Rich Green. And uh, for those who like to irritate him, we call him Ricky. Or if he's in trouble, his mother calls him that, just so you know. Uh, and then this is Christy Green. This is Anna Carey, and I am Chris. Thank you so much for being here. And we're going to get to know uh, the Greens a little bit more here in just a little bit. Um, but uh, I just want to, uh, again, reiterate, if you are in a place in your, in, in your, in your relationships where there's a struggle, we're going to touch on some things today that uh, may not be, uh, in, your, in, in your mind, satisfactory. <laughs> And so we want to just say this out front. Hey, listen, we, are, uh, we love the professionals, we love the counselors, we love the therapist. And if we want you to continue the conversation the best that you can, don't just leave it hanging and be like, oh, they didn't answer my question or they didn't touch on that, that specific topic. Uh, we want to encourage you to seek out help if you can, all right? Okay, so let's get into the, the bigger questions that we have for you. And the first few are just to get to know you a little bit. So before we ask the first question, why don't, we, why don't you just uh, tell us how long you've been married, kids, ages, things like that, just so we get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. So we've been married 36 years, and in December, our children will be Jonathan, 35, Josh, 33, Gabrielle, 31, and Katie, 25, and we have six grandkids. Two of the kids live out of state, and two live in Iowa. Awesome. And she's, a, by the way, she's an RN at the university, so you never want to see her because she's in the ER, but uh, that's... Yeah. yeah, don't come. Sorry, yesterday. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to start asking them some questions. Some of these are lighter, and then they'll get 
heavier and heavier. So, okay. So, first question here. What's your favorite thing to do together? Not that, but what's your favorite thing oh, to do together? Not that. But not that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we like to travel. And one reason I love to travel with Rich is because he's like a captive audience. We're in the car together or we're in the airport together and he can't go off to work on a project or do anything else. He's just mine. I'm not a prisoner. I'm just captive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you guys don't normally, do you fight when you're uh, do traveling? We, yeah. Do we fight? Yeah. Um, only if I don't have coffee. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes over directions. So when oh, we travel, yeah. when we're driving, I'm, uh, I'm like a, okay, that's where we're going, and what's the most direct, efficient route to get there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And True. sometimes she just wants to sightsee. Yeah. yeah. If you guys are in a car, will, does Christy drive, or do you drive? <gasps> <laughs> I, uh, I can't seem to stay awake for extended en- enough time. She's actually the captive audience while we're traveling. <laughs> <laughs> She's asleep. Yeah, not the whole time. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, In what ways is your marriage different from the marriage your parents had? Yeah. So I grew up in the deep south as the oldest of six kids in a very stable home. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We were a very tight Catholic family. So I had a great upbringing. But the way my marriage is different is because um, we weren't born-again Christians at that time, and, you know, my parents weren't in the ministry, so um, then when I married Rich, obviously we're in the ministry, and um, I guess that's the biggest way that our marriage is different. I think our marriage is completely different than how my parents were. Um, I grew up in the country of Panama. My... uh, my parents divorced when I was 13. My father was in the military, gone most of the time, and uh, a lot of dysfunction in the family, in the home. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's, in some ways it's night and day, you know. There's a lot more I could say about that if you want, but I, I, we, some, of the, some of the formative things for me now came from not wanting to have that kind of marriage or that kind of relationship growing up. Um, but also, also the desire to not have that also created some other dysfunction in what I was pursuing. And uh, we probably talk more about that, but yeah. And I know that you came from a divorced family. Later, uh, later on, your mom and dad got divorced. Uh, how did that change your view on marriage, or how did that strengthen you in your marriage with knowing that and because of how prominent divorce is these days, uh, for you, how did you keep going and keep it strong? Yeah. Uh, you know, for, for me, I think that it's hard, to, it's hard to talk about this without also talking about my faith, right? So um, had I not, at the age of 18, 19, given my life to Christ, I'd probably have a completely different res- uh, perspective on how that impacted me, you know? Um, but at that point, when I gave my life to Christ, at that point, there was a commitment to first to Christ and then, and, and, a, and this view that, you know, God was going to put me together with somebody that, 
that I was gonna spend the rest of my life with. And so divorce just did not factor in that way because of my relationship with Christ. Um, but, uh, but, it, but it also gave me a lot of stuff, just things that I did not want to see, you know, in our relationship, so. Yeah, one thing I would say is, if you're in a marriage, every marriage, I feel, ought to have a mission, even a mission statement. My son and daughter-in-law who live in Cedar Rapids, their marriage slash family mission statement is, we look for lonely people. For Rich and I, we would say, we want to be a place of access to the gospel. Wherever in the world we are, whatever we're doing, we want to be a place of access. So when we're serving God, walking with God, and we're married, that partnership should serve a kingdom purpose. And when that's happening, we're just busy for the kingdom. And I, I don't think it ever even occurred to us, divorce was never, that's, now we fight sometimes, but divorce is not a word we say, you know, because he'll probably be dead, no. <laughs> And you're a nurse, so you'd know how to do it a specific way. I don't contemplate suicide. It'd be murder. Yeah. (laughs) Now we have to talk about that. (laughs) We have any uh, counselors in the room? (laughs) Okay. Do you want me to go to the next one? Okay. How do you thrive being empty nesters? It's the best. Be careful. I, is Jonathan, Jonathan here? So. Um, I think being an empty nester is like the culmination or the pinnacle of a mentoring season. And what mentor would not want to see their prodigies leave the nest? Um, when I think of the alternative, still having kids at home, adult children, and believe me, my children a couple of them have bounced back and forth. They've been in the home, out of the home during periods of transition or for other reasons. Um, but for me, I still like Rich. And I think, I think he still likes me. Yeah. And we're good together by ourselves, right? Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, if we've not... Um, and I'm not sure if this has to do with just our personalities or homes we grow up in or what, but we've subconsciously and even consciously, we have always understood that life is about seasons anyways. You know, so we've been in seasons where we had, you know, three little boys, rambunctious boys running around. In fact, it's funny because we, when I meet missionaries uh, that we've known when we were missionaries in Bangladesh, one of the first things they ask is, oh, yeah, you're the greens. You're the one with the, with the three boys. That's how they ca- yeah. characterize us because our boys were just, you know, busy. Energetic. Go, 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 you know. And it kept us on our toes, and it was a very busy season. But we understood that that was a, simply a season. There was no reason to be frustrated or upset over that season. And, uh, and we've grown beyond that season now. Now they're adults. Now they have their own kids. And... And we're, you know, we are in a season of more focused attention with each other. And honestly, you know, learning, you know, how do we, 
have fun together, you know, because everything circled around us and kids at one point. Now it's just us two, you know, and, um, and it narrows the choices for us because, you know, oftentimes the choices were, what do the kids want to do? That's what we're going to go do. And one parent may, may like it, the other one didn't like it so much. Now we have to agree on the things that we do that we both like, right? So, uh, Chris, you said something that <clears throat> made me think about something that we, that we see Issa in, in the framework that we see Issa. Issa is our daughter. She's 11. Um, but you said as a, you're mentoring them and then you want to see them, yeah. you know, for lack of a better term, but, you know, fly the coop. Like they are on their own. You've had them for a season. I see it as sometimes as it's, it's God giving us our children to steward, to yeah. manage anyway. I'm just not to use these terms, you know, that didn't feel so you know, loving, but we are, we are to steward our kids, but then they're really God's. They're not our kids. They're yeah. God's kids. And we just have them for a time. I think a lot of parents struggle with this because they, and to the most extreme, they're trying to live their life through their kids or they see them as their, their all. And it's a, there's a struggle there because when they are hurting, they are not that we don't hurt, but there is, we understand that there are seasons that our children have to go through. They have to experience, uh, just like we did and that we're not going to be able to be, you know, there to protect them in every case. They yeah. are God's kids. Yeah. So, all right. Okay. Next question. Yes. Okay. How have you learned? Oh, we're skipping this one, right? We're skipping this one. Sorry, we're just going to go on. How have you learned to fight fair, to fight for unity, even when you feel angry or misunderstood? Yeah, so I would say, number one, it's a process, and it can be a learned skill. In any healthy relationship, or let's define a healthy relationship, That's two adults in the marriage context coming together and agreeing to take responsibility for being in that relationship, right? So whenever we have conflict or we disagree or we get angry, um, one thing I like to do now, and I've learned it over the years, is just not to be reactive and In every argument, listen to this, every argument needs a hero. Do you know who the hero is? It's the listener. And the listener is the servant. So we're having an argument, and maybe I choose to be the hero, and I'm I'm quiet, and I'm saying, "Uh uh-huh, okay. Which can annoy me, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And inside, I'm like, he's wrong, that stinks, you suck, you know. But I'm choosing to take the servant role and listen, and then ask one question. What is it that you need from me? What am I missing? And you guys, that can diffuse a lot. Do I do that every time? No. Is it my goal? Yes. So, for me... I mean, and you can talk about our faith in that, maybe. Do you think we fight fair? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to have these conversations, honestly, without considering. Um, you have to understand that when we met, when Christy and I met, we both, independently of each other, were both chasing after Christ. That's where we were before we met. We were already working through things in our own life where we were saying, 
what we were saying. This is how you respond when things don't go right for yourself. This is how you, you know, this is how you live your life. This is how you speak to other people. Those are things that we were wrestling with before we ever met each other. And then when we met each other, we kind of were on the same journey. We we're on the same path. We we're going in the same direction. So um, early on, when we first got married, one of the things that we understood was what Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, um, you, there, is, there is an assumption in that, pa- in that passage that, that in, in, in your relationships, anger is going to come. There is going to be dis- disagreements. There's going to be uh, where you're going to be in two opposite opinions about something, you know, and, and those are going to incite emotion, and that emotion is going to result in anger, right? That's going to happen. So the advice that Paul gives is don't let the sun go down your anger. In other words, deal with it. Don't walk away from it. Don't ignore it. Don't sweep it under the rug, but actually deal with it. And so from early on in our marriage, we made a decision that we were going to, uh, to make sure that when we went to bed, we went to bed with our hearts clean towards each other. Um, yeah. Go ahead. And I don't know about you guys, but after I argue with Richard, okay, so we had a Bible college professor who said, if a couple never argues, one of them is not thinking, okay? And we're big thinkers. <laughs> Firstborns. We're both firstborns of big families. I'm um, more right than she is, though, but yes. <laughs> and so I don't like the way I feel after we have conflict. I don't like it. And I think it's because it grieves the Holy Spirit. And I just don't like it. And I remember one time in particular, we were having a big disagreement, and we both just stopped, and we, like, looked at each other. And I think I started crying. I'm like, this feels the worst. I I don't like it, and I am not doing this again. And we haven't, because I can't stand the way I feel after it happens. I feel like the, the concept of not going to bed angry is so difficult because, I mean, we both work full-time, and so when we're together, it's in the evening. Yeah. So the argument starts in the evening, and I'm tired, <laughs> and I want to go to bed. And so, yeah, there's times where I've gone to bed. I would say we've gone to bed. I've gone to bed angry, and there was one time, you probably don't remember this, but you were very unhappy that I went to bed, and so you went and grabbed me out of bed. I think I went to, like, the guest room, and I was like, I'm not even sleeping in our bed. I'm going to go to the guest room. (laughs) You you carried me out, and you're like, we're going to talk about this, and we did, and so, but I still sometimes... He was the hero. He was, yeah, he usually is the hero. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, babe. That's so kind. Um, We're going to switch gears a little bit and, uh, and, and go a little bit deeper into the questions that I think that many of you have asked or are asking. And so, uh, let's start with that first one. Okay. How did you navigate working through differences of opinion when it came to the big things in marriage, such as how you were going to raise your children or differences on how to handle finances? Okay. Well, I remember the first Christmas I spent as a married woman, 
at Richard's mom's apartment in a suburb of Dallas, small apartment, four other boys living there, and his abuelita, and Miss Irene. And we wake up Christmas morning, and I'm like, it's Christmas. Because that means a lot at my house when I was growing up. And this doesn't offend you, does it? No, this is true. (laughs) Okay. There was no smell of a Christmas dinner or cookies, a small Christmas tree. I feel bad saying this. That's okay. It's true. And so I call my mom on the rotary phone. I'm like, Mom, I mean, the smells are not even like the holidays. And the Christmas tree is like two feet tall. (laughs) And the gifts, there's hardly any gifts. And I was just, I was crying. And I'm married. And my mom was, she heard me. She sympathized. And then she said, okay, bye. (laughs) You know, she didn't have time for that. You're a married woman. But over the years, we've navigated holidays together that are more my family tradition. And he agrees and goes along. Um, So to add a little context to all of what she's saying is, we grew up, I grew up, like I said earlier, grew up in a divorced home, a father that was absent, and uh, a mother who worked full-time to raise five boys by herself. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that drop off the list of priorities when you're that busy and that much going on in your life. A lot of things drop off. So shopping for a Christmas tree, for example, I is know, way but... down on the list. It's okay. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that, you know? Okay. And, uh, and on top of that, but th- that's that's... That, that's that. But the other piece about us is that we also, in our home, was a much more survival kind of mentality. Yeah. You know, like, uh, we, we didn't, for example, we didn't have family dinners together. Because food, you know, people came in at different times of the day. You just ate whenever you got home. And you, if you, when you're one of five boys, you're like, is there any food left? Go get the food before it's gone, you know, kind of thing. And so... And, you know, they had, she grew up with a lot of traditions. And so we, I don't know that I, I would say that we dis, I disagreed with some of the traditions that she wanted to have in our, in our family, but it was a learning process for me because I didn't see the value or the importance of it, you know. And so, and again, this kind of goes back to uh, learning to prefer others better than yourself. And so in our relationship, that's, that is, a, that is a, a value that we have, you know, is that we are seeking to prefer the other person in, in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we don't do that very well. We don't do it perfectly, that's for sure. But underlying, we know that that's what needs to be. You know? mm-hmm. Were there ever tough discussions in trying to figure out which side of the family you were going to visit for a particular holiday? Yeah. I mean, we try to rotate. We've never lived in the same city where I grew up or where he grew up or when he came to the States. So, yeah, we just talk about... And I always want to go to my mom's. <laughs> but we go to his mom's, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's totally, two, two totally different experiences when we go to my mom's and when we go to her mom's. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, yeah. We're raw and real at my house. <laughs> That's just all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think the big thing is um, just to communicate regularly and often, and not leave any decision to chance. Um, uh, One thing that 
we developed pretty early in our marriage is that every Sunday night we powwow about the week that's coming up. When do you work? When do you work? When the kids were small, what do they have going on? Who picks them up? What meals are we going to have? Like, and if that sounds over the top to you, I find it and found that it works. And it negates a bunch of the conflict that can come up in a partnership that can already be, you know, it's busy and it's difficult. You're trying to raise a family. Yeah. So we, we um, so when we, this, this whole event today, the way it started was I had an idea. Well, part of the, my preparation for this series, I had prepared for this particular Sunday to talk about connection and marriage. You know, yeah. that was a topic. <laughs> what, is it, what is it like to be connected in marriage? And, um, and I approached Ben, and I, sh- sh- I threw the idea about maybe Christine and I doing it together. I was thinking we were just going to, tra- you know, I was going to speak for 10 minutes. She was going to speak for 10 minutes, and we're done. But uh, it turned into this. But um, one of the things about that, what she just mentioned, that every Sunday night we, we sit together, and we just talk about the week, what's happening in the week. It's, it was, it's, it's, it's interesting. I have f- discovered this. It was a point where we, every single week, we connected. Now, we try to do that more daily, but for sure, every single Sunday, there was a connection point between us, um, where oftentimes those conversations could go to uh, discussing some things that are, that are, you know, on our heart, that are difficult, that we're feeling challenged by, or whatever. Those would happen on Sunday night, because it was an easier night to, to do it. And, um, and, and I've been surprised, actually, now... In, in my role as a pastor, where I meet with people and talk to people, find out that there is very often, not, not across the board, this is not true for everybody, this is true for just a few, but that there are couples who do not have a, any kind of routine of what it's like to just come together and connect yeah. on an intimate, exactly. you know, heart level with each other. And uh, I think fundamentally for us, we, we, need, we need that. And I think that the, if now looking back, 36 years looking back, we realize, okay, this was one of the tools that God used in our lives so that we could stay connected. So now 36 years later, we're not like, I don't want to be around you. Just, you know, you go do your thing, I'll go do my thing. And we want to be together. Um, it has a lot to do with having a, a regular habit of connecting at a heart level with one. And one of the challenges is, 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 especially in marriages like that, one of the bigger uh, uh, things that can cause conflict is, is finances. And you guys have a unique way of doing finances. <laughs> okay, we, so let me, can, I set this, can I set this up? When I met Christy, okay, 1986, 87, 86. 1986, when I met Christy, she owned a Jeep Renegade CJ7, pimped out. Man, chrome, big pimped wheels, out? chrome. Pimped? Did you, you know, say pimped? It was nice. Painted, big chrome, big chrome rims. You know, it was, it was a nice Jeep paid for. She had a savings account. She had, she owned, you know, she had proper stuff that she owned. And I had zero. He was poor. I was poor. <laughs> and, and she was always, she, I mean, she had all that because you know, she worked full time. She was a nurse and all that. But. I, you, if you gave me $100 in church, 
I would lose it between here and exiting the door. It would like, it'd disappear. And you'd ask me, hey, where's that $100 bill? I said, I don't know. It's gone. And so this is how, when we first got together, this was the dynamic in our relation when it came to finances, is I didn't know how to manage it very well, and she was very, very you know, strict about money. So you, No, you can. Let me keep going. I get, yeah. Strict. So, so, so yeah, so. Uh, and we live that way, you know, initially for, for some time, you, you know, you, when you first meet, you kind of love each other and you have the goo-goo eyes and you kind of, you don't see, there, there are things that you don't like, but you know, that'll change. You have a lot of positivity about the potential of change in your partner. But then over time, when it does not change, then that's when you start find, find, you know, finding issues. And when it came to the issue of money, that was something that became very, very real for Christy. And so uh, I, I'll spare you the years of conflict over that. There was a lot of years of conflict, but at some point it came to this place where we decided that we were going to be very conscientious about, it, it took me to move in the, that direction. But uh, we, for example, we, every Friday, I balance the checkbook. I, I, I have a ledger. How many of you use ledgers to balance your checkbook? Oh. And, oh, there's a few, okay. Than, there's a few less than older people how many, that do that. Okay. How many don't know what a ledger is? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have a ledger. We have a ledger. We fill it out. You know, we put all of our expenses, all of our income, and it all goes in the ledger. There's and then probably I an balance. app for that. Sorry? What? There's probably an app for that. Yeah. That's what Jonathan app. told That's me. That's right. Yeah. And then, and, then, and then we balance it every Friday, and then I balance it out. I, you know, I close it. I put, I put little... Post-its of, you know, what's in our savings account, what's this and all that, a calculator and a pen, and then I leave it for Christy to, to look at later. And what, it do, what it's done for us, first of all, we know where our money is. That's, I mean, the overarching thing. But what it does is I, in our relationship, I have moved in that direction towards her so that she, this is no longer a point of stress in our relationship. Okay. People are going to think I'm weird <laughs> about my money. <laughs> no. You're like that. Yeah, you're smart with your money. That's how you're supposed to be. So I'm going to keep these boys in check. Similar to, <laughs> similar to Rich and Christy, I was the one that had zero money and in debt, married into someone who saved and all that. They're, yeah, we're, we're still working through it after 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Next question. How should a couple work towards a healthy marriage if they have two different belief systems in the home? We are skipping that one, Chewy, just so you know. We're going to the, yeah, thank you. I'll let you start with that one. Well, first of all, I think, I'm assuming the question has to do with faith, belief, when it's a belief, not, not a, a different belief system in terms of raising kids or money or any of that. I assume we're talking about faith. And so that, that is a challenge. And I'll be honest with you, it's a very, it's a big challenge because um, faith is a, <clears throat> It's a deep-seated part of us. It's a part that informs our worldview. It informs what we think about ourselves, what we think about other people. And when your partner, the person you're closest to relationally, is not there, that, that is, is, it can be very difficult. It's very challenging. And, 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 and I get that. I understand that. I also think that there are things that are not exclusive to Christianity, things like honor, respect, trust, love, and care. Those are things that, that, as a Christian, the Bible tells us we need to do those kind of things. But, um, but they're not exclusive to Christianity. I mean, as a, as a husband or a wife that's a believing husband or a believing wife, 
you can expect your partner, maybe who's not believing, to honor you, to respect you, to care for you. Those are things that you can expect. And, um, and, and particularly if you're a believer in the relationship, um, I think that marriages, there can be, you can have a good marriage where that's the, the case. But um, what I think also is, is that the believer has an opportunity to live out yeah. their faith before their, their, their spouse. That they have an opportunity to, um, when, when the spouse is not acting as good as they should, you have an opportunity to show grace and love and care and respect and honor, which is a witness to them, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, we've not, that's not been our story, obviously. Our story has been a different story than that, but uh, I do think that there, there, are, there are things that are just human traits, right? And... How we honor another person is very important. Uh, you don't have to be a born-again Christian to honor another person. There's a lot of people that are not Christians that honor other people so, uh, or respect or trust. And so those are some things I think would be very important to have in that marriage um, when there are two different beliefs. Yeah. yeah. I would just add to that not to try to navigate that situation alone. Um, include, get more people in your circle, a trusted friend, a life group, your pastor, counselor, um, good friends, and uh, definitely, I would pray and fast that my spouse came to a relationship with Jesus. Uh, that might sound simplistic, but truly, that might be the only answer. That's good, good. Okay, next question. Please address the issues of emotional and physical abuse. What does generosity look like when you have to set firm emotional or physical boundaries with a spouse? What does generosity look like? So I'll, I'll say, can I just say this, just to kind of make sure that this, we frame this properly. When there is any kind of abuse, physical or emotional, it's, sometimes it's hard to quantify or define what emotional abuse actually is. It, sometimes it's very subjective to the person. But, but when there is abuse of any kind, I think separation is important. There needs to be some distance created with that other person because sometimes when, you're, when the abuse is happening, you're too close, it's hard to see, it's hard to see why this is happening. And particularly for the abuser, it's important there's for the abused. There's it's important that there's separation, so there's safety now. But also for the this is actually you know this is what would be a boundary basically where you create some separation so that the person who's being abused can feel safe, and then the person who is the abuser can also reflect on what is happening in this why this is the consequences of their actions and the things that they're saying or the things that they're doing. Um, in some cases, if it's physical abuse, there may be the need to call the authorities, call the police. So, so those, I'm just kind of setting a stage here to make sure that when we talk about this, we're not just saying, because there's Christian values of grace and love and, and you know, trust and all those kind of things um, that we want to live out. But remember, that doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean take it. Suffer through it. It means that you, you create some space. 
we could talk more about that, but I don't know if you're yeah. going to say something. No, yeah. I was just going to say, we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of boundaries? The purpose is not to shame your spouse, to scold your spouse, to tell your spouse what he or she is going to do. It is not to reject your spouse. The purpose of boundaries is to create a context and an environment where restoration, reconciliation, and connection can occur again. We want to create the environment where love can reign again. And this can start, just to give you an example, say you're, and this is maybe small, but your spouse is super busy and comes home every night late for supper. And early in your marriage, you decided, the both of you, that supper was important, and it would happen at 6 p.m. And for a month, one spouse is not there. The other spouse can say, Joe, I'm feeling disconnected. You haven't been here for supper for a month, and we want to feel connected to you. Let another month go by. Does Joe respond? No. Okay, that's the problem. One person in the relationship is not showing up. Then the spouse can say, Joe, can you make it to supper? I want you to make it to supper two nights for the next month. Every week, two nights. Be here at 6 p.m. Joe doesn't show up. Another month goes by. What comes next? Then the boundary. And the boundary is not about saying, you will do this, you will do that, this is what's going to happen. That is not the purpose of the boundary. The boundary is for you to know what you're going to do with you. Okay? We can make this statement, the spouse. Joe, we're going to eat supper here at 6 p.m., Monday through Friday. After supper... The kids and I are going to clean up. The food's either going to be thrown away or put in the refrigerator. I don't know what you're going to do for supper. I would ask that you don't go through Taco Bell. Find something when you get home. This is what I'm doing. This is what we're going to do, the kids and I. And so that's a small example, maybe not so serious, of what a boundary is, and how it can serve the relationship without making an enemy of the spouse that has chosen not. And it's a choice, guys, not to engage. Yeah, I think, I That's think, all i got to say on that. <laughs> I think uh, there's a difference. Uh, when we think about boundaries... Um, like the purpose of boundaries, what's it for? And Chrissy just talked a little bit about it, but uh, there's boundaries that are about uh, creating the boundary for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation, but there's also boundaries that oftentimes we use and create for the purpose of rejection. And uh, like we, we've just had it, we can't deal with this anymore, and we are turning. And so one of the things I think that we've talked about this, generosity and what is, you know, how, how, how do we show love when the other person's not doing their part? Um, this whole idea has to do with, are we turning towards our partner or turning away from them? Yeah, yeah. You know? And 
in our relationships, constantly we're, we're navigating, every single one of us, we're navigating uh, how do we stay connected to that person that we're with and how do we thrive in that relationship? And sometimes a person does something, says something, whatever that is hurt, hurtful, I have to work through how do I get back to being connected and thrive in that relationship. Sometimes it happens for so long that a boundary gets established, but again, the goal is still restoration and trying to, once again, thrive in that relationship. I can also make the decision to turn away from that relationship. And this is really a, a heart thing for each and every one of us. Uh, it's a heart thing from the smallest thing where we, Christy and I may have a, a disagreement about something. I did something that she did not like and she got, she got mad and she said something to me about it. And how I respond to that is part, I have a choice at that very moment, I can either turn towards her or I can turn away from her. I can turn towards or acknowledge what I did wrong and say I'm sorry. I could turn away from her because she used a tone that I didn't like, yelled or said something I didn't like, hurt my feelings, and I'm going to just turn away from her, and, I'm not, and that reconciliation is not going to happen. So it's really an it's, it's, it's a internal kind of compass that I want to be in a relationship with you, but what's happening now is not good. We need to fix yeah. this. So as I create boundaries or as I st we have conversations, all of what we're doing is with the idea of turning towards the person rather than turning away from the person or use, utilizing the, 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 the faults and the sins of, of, the, of the partner as a reason to turn away from that person, you know? So. Our time is gone. Uh, it, has been, it has been a very, very fast, uh, you know, hour already. Final thoughts before we wrap up and then we want to give some resources before we close down, but... Final thoughts before we, we leave today. Yeah, I would just say be intentional about connecting. Protect your connection, whatever that means for you. Protect it and stay connected. And do a Sunday night reset. Sunday night reset sounds yeah. good. Yeah. I, I, I just want to say there's hope. And I, and I get that sometimes. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's Everybody in this room, I think some in this room are, are in some difficult relationships or you are either in some difficult relationships or you've experienced a difficult relationship and maybe you're on the other side of that divorced or whatever. And, um, and, and I think that oftentimes it's easy for us or it, not easy, not that we're trying to make it easy, but it just, it's, it's a safe place for us to just feel hopeless in what is happening and that there's got to be some other solution, some other way out of the pain that I'm feeling, the struggle that I'm feeling. And I get that. And, and that's real. The pain is real. And I think what's a challenge for us is that we talk, oftentimes from, the, from this pulpit, we talk philosophically about what Christians should be doing in their relationships. And that is true. That's not negated. That's absolutely true. But sometimes in the pain that we're in, it's really hard to put all the pieces together and figure it all out and and sometimes there's the expectation you're going to walk through these doors, you're going to hear a sermon, boom, that fixes everything. And it doesn't because it's a process. It's a journey. It's something that you have to walk through and continually make the commitment first to connect with God. There's hope. I started off saying there's hope. And here's where it starts. We continue to make the commitment to first connect with God in my relationship with God. Secondly, work on the things that I can control. Work on me. 
most dysfunction, most brokenness in relationships because I'm trying to fix my partner. I'm trying to make them better. I'm trying to do what they need and fix them and make sure that they're doing all the right thing. But really, my responsibility is to work on me, take care of what I'm supposed to be doing in this relationship and, and doing the right thing, you know, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. Um, and, then, and then just, you know, the Lord uses those things, oftentimes use those things to actually change our partner. It's happened with me. It's our experience. Things that were hurtful for Christy that I was doing, I saw that. I realized that it was hurtful for her. She didn't try to control me. She was doing what she was supposed to do. But I, because I love her and because I really want our relationship to be connected, I started tweaking my behaviors, my, my, my choices, my decisions. To, to, and she's done the same thing. And it's brought more connection. And so there is hope. Uh, and I know this is, it feels very... Wow, we're just kind of ending, and some of you are going to walk out and say, well, I don't feel f- hope right now. I get that. Um, but there really is hope. And the last thing I just want to say is, is if you are in a difficult relationship right now, number one, don't do this in isolation. It's easy for us to not want to tell anybody because we're embarrassed, especially if you attend church, you're embarrassed to tell anybody that you're having difficulty. Don't do it in isolation. You need, a, you need some allies. You need some people with you to walk with you. Number two, work on... Work on yourself, okay? Work on yourself. Make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be righteously doing as a follower of Christ. And, um, and, and, then, and then make sure that you f- seek help, you know? Um, I, I've met, I'm not, ask, I'm not soliciting, by the way, but I've met with a lot of people when they've come to my office to talk about the brokenness in their relationship. And, um, and we've been able to navigate some things. I've you know, not always with success, but we've been able to navigate some things. And uh, so seek out help, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a counselor. Make sure that you're not uh, doing this alone. Yeah. As our uh, campus pastors are coming, um, we just want to share just a few resources. If you look up here, we've got Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. Uh, it's a wonderful book. Boundaries in Marriage, another great one from Henry Cloud. Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Pete Scazzera? Yeah. Like, did I say that right? Scazzaro. I don't, Scazzaro, I don't Pete know that Jerry, one. Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. Okay. And then Life Academy, this is the unique one here. Um, this is an actually subscription to a website where uh, it's an academy. There are courses. Uh, course, there's courses, exactly. And so those are some resources. Take a picture of it if uh, you've never heard of those books. We'll probably post, Ben, probably post these this week on social media uh, just to help you on. But you guys, thank you so much um, for being here. And I'm going to pray this out, but we have prayer teams are going to be on the left and right. And we just want you to know, we want to partner with you in prayer. And we know today didn't answer all your questions, but we want to continue the conversation. And we pray that that will at least some, a light was turned on or a tool or a, a concept or a principle was, was, was helpful. Uh, did you enjoy it today? Yeah. Good. <clears throat> Great. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, um, for today. Thank you for a different format. Thank you for changing it up and and allowing uh, us to dive a little bit deeper into some of the challenges and concerns that people have who are in relationships. And God, we know we're focusing on marriages today and talking about marriages, but we know that these are principles that can be used, tools that can be used in all of our relationships, especially those close relationships where we're trying to prefer the other one and try to, you know, stop bad habits and things. God, I just pray for that. I pray for uh, those who are, who are acting selfishly, 
who are, who, are, who, are, who are the ones that are contributing the most to the problematic relationship. And I just pray, God, that there would be a, um, a reconciliation, there would be hope restored, and that there would be a relationship that is, that is built back on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. You guys, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you.